Now rocking with the best. Only two things can get you through this, man. Patience and persistence. Work harder than everyone. Be patient and just know that if you're gonna do something on your own, you're gonna have to feel some pain. You're only the boss if you put up your own money. If you don't put up your own money, I don't care how much somebody gives you. You're nothing but a supervisor. It's not yours. It, it takes fearlessness to be first. You know, to not move with a crowd, to move alone. I stopped living according to what people wanted me to do. I started living according to what actually made me happy. If you're not happy, change your life. Allow me to reintroduce myself. The Culture Talks Podcast with your host, Carlos Stutzer. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is your boy, C-I-Z-Z-Y, you dig live action, Kansas City, Missouri. We are back at it again with another episode of the revamped College Stutzer Show. So, ladies and gentlemen, it used to be the Culture Talk Show. For those of you who are tapping into this episode for the first time and you're like, wait, I thought it was the Culture Talk Show. It was, and it's still all about the culture, but we decided to switch it up to the College Stutzer Show. So, it was it was no better guest to bring on to the first, you know, revamp of the the culture talks to the college starts to show than to our fellow brother that's here on the screen with us today. Go ahead and introduce yourself to the people who are listening. Absolutely, Carlos. Well, it's a pleasure to be on the college starts to show. Yes, um, way to evolve. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to be the first guest. My name is Naeem Alameen. I'm the founder and CEO of Swag Inc. Our serve, witness, and give guidance. Inspiration never ceases. Ultimately, I'm someone who's been impacted by mass incarceration over 30 years, returning citizen as recently as March 22nd, 2018. We're advocating for people impacted by mass incarceration within the organization, and we're, we're looking to you know, promote ownership for returning citizens. So definitely glad to be on the show. I love it. I love it. And ladies and gentlemen, you might recognize his name because we have actually had him on the show before, but we have been waiting to get another episode going. <laughs> Last time we had a little bit of some audio issues and he was spitting straight fire with the uh, most most eclectic language of all time. I was like, I was like man, I was I was low-key mad. I was like, dang, the people need to hear this. This was powerful. So we had to give it, you know, a few months. It's actually been over a year. So we had to give it a year to make sure, you know, the space was correct to come back on and chop it up. And as you can see, my boy is flashing with the sun, looking good, skin popping, audio clear. We we live and we lit. But um, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do something a little bit different today. So um, Naeem, actually, before this episode today, share with me two powerful videos that I would like to share with you guys today. And what we're going to do is we're going to share these videos and then Naeem and I are going to kind of riff off of these videos and I'm going to ask him a few questions um, based off of, you know, some things that inspire me or stood out to me from each of these videos. And, and we'll just have a dope conversation. And I know you guys haven't had a, a podcast like this before. Um, so if you're not watching at home, I highly suggest you actually watch this podcast. You're still going to hear the power um, of each story from the video through the audio. But we definitely suggest and encourage everyone who is listening to take some time to watch this on YouTube as well. So with that being said, if you guys just give us two seconds, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be sharing my screen here and we will be playing the first video um, of today, which is going to be called Don't Rodney King Me. Um, Naeem, before we start this video today, did you want to share anything, um, you know, any preface before we uh, press play on this and, and begin our conversation? Absolutely, Carlos, and thank you for the opportunity to um, provide clarity on Don't Rodney King Me, which is uh, actually a workshop that I hold on Zoom and, excuse me, on Eventbrite. And Don't Rodney King Me is designed to eliminate ignorance and elevate knowledge on mass incarceration's impact on Black histories and Black futures. But it's actually a piece that evolved out of my memoir, Returning Citizen from Debtor to Owner which uh, is an illustration of mass incarceration's impact on my life. So what we were able to do with my marketing team over at JWA was bring this excerpt to life. It's four minutes and 18 seconds. And we use it as an educational efficacy tool to not only connect returning citizens with opportunities, but as a relationship builder with our network. 
I love it. I love it. And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that's a little bit of a preface on this video that we're about to watch. It is four minutes and 18 seconds long. But ladies and gentlemen, don't feel pressured to press pause and watch this only on video because it's powerful through audio as well. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and mute my personal audio. And Naeem, if you wouldn't mind muting your personal audio, and then we'll go ahead and press play on this video in three. Imagine with me, if you will, close your eyes, being that young kid on a walk through your neighborhood. What did you see? What did you hear? What did you smell? Did you feel safe? The fact that I had to do anything is what I'm getting at. Safety is a moment. Security is a status. Don't Rodney King me. The Rodney King beating of 1991 would be an accurate description of every black person in America at the time that this happened. It was a reference to the duality of existence that W. Du Bois so elegantly wrote about down to the prophetic affirmation that the problem of the 21st century would be the problem of the color line. It was a lowering of the curtain of qualified immunity doctrine rationalized by the Supreme Court on its problem child. It was a beat-down submission to our place in the social stratification of America. It was a reminder that the Constitution of America stands as one of the most hypocritically flawed documents to be revered if the very people that made all the sacrifices we so proudly enjoy are left out of it. The Rodney King beating of 1991 was why I was processed and arrested for robbery at eight years old. I was never directed to talk to a counselor or a social worker. Nah, an eight-year-old kid attempted to rob an adult Mexican man who had more likely than not experienced more loss than him. It's not an indicator for help or an indicator that something is wrong here. Mass incarceration will attempt to fit you into its narrative. The Rodney King beating of 1991 was softened the punch that D-Dog threw to put me onto the Rolling 60s neighborhood crip gang. The Crenshaw district would become my home and the Rolling 60s would become my family. Mass incarceration tends to operate in fear. Generally when you're in fear from something, you seek shelter and hide. Mass incarceration will present you in the eyes of the duality of existence as Rodney King. I bury young and old Rodney Kings that had been beat down by mass incarceration and couldn't help but feel that I was up next for my hole in Inglewood Cemetery. And when they ran out of land for the builder's use, they started building skyscraper mausoleums. As I stared into that TV screen, watching all those white officers, hearing the sounds of the radio and a helicopter and the muffled voice of the reporter, I just remember images and sounds and in my adolescent mind, I couldn't wait to kill all of those motherfuckers. They were beating down my future by making me help wanting to destroy it. George Holliday used the camera to record the March 3rd, 1991 assault. 30 years later, George Holliday can be quoted on NBC News as saying, the same issues surrounding King's beating still seem to be occurring decades later. Racial tension is there. The video he captured is approximately one minute, 10 seconds. Things have gotten worse. Eight minutes, four seconds for George Floyd. And taking one minute, 10 seconds, mass incarceration is looking to finesse you for eight minutes, four seconds until you is getting better. Now, if there's one thing you know how to do, Naeem, it's make a powerful statement. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you guys were listening to that, 
I'm sure, you know, you felt a certain type of way. If you were watching it, you definitely felt a certain type of way. Naeem, what, what inspired you to make this video? And when did you make this video? And what, what, what feelings arise during the creation of this video? And ladies and gentlemen, like I said, you know, make sure you take some time out to watch the video podcast if you get a chance. Go ahead, Naeem. Wow, Carlos, those are very amazing questions. And so uh, to put it in perspective, the reason for the piece was to tell my story and how, you know, you could be in a position to be a 40-year-old Black man and still have not reached the stride that, you know, uh, you should have reached if you did not have prison experiences hindering you from moving forward in your growth and development, establishing your education, financial acumen, and, you know, being there in the community as a resource, right? And so for me, it was an opportunity to not only tell my story, but to also illustrate what I felt were variables specifically <clears throat> that had impact on me. So one of the things that Don't Rodney King Me points out is perceived incivility theory, duality of existence, and also qualified immunity doctrine. But within the workshop, the progress is done towards why are those of service in our uh, society? Right. And so then being able to connect that to, you know, participants, environmental factors and seeing if there's been a relationship or seeing if there's a disconnect and then providing an opportunity to educate and then connect to um, Swag Inc. ultimately, which where, you know, we're promoting that ownership for returning citizens by developing them in education, entrepreneurship and employment etiquette. You know, so it's very important for me to be able to express that. Um, we got that done about last year. Uh, JWA, Nico came through, um, provided guidance on, you know, how to connect to the audience, you know, as this is a volatile topic for some. And so we really appreciate him. Kevin Berg as well. He creates content over at University of KU for the football team. So he came, invested his time, knowledge and experience and, you know, helped us bring this to market. Um, and so what we hope to do is be able to you know, share more stories in this way, moving from the literature to the videography piece, right? And bringing it to life and, and creating interest off of capital when we're using our creative facilities to do work. I love that. I love that. I know I'm looking forward to, to the future of more, you know, media content coming out based off of these, you know, stories, these realities um, that are helping to, you know, really help people from the outside understand to, to a degree at the end of the day, understand to a degree what's going on, what they can do to help and the realities of individuals growing up in these circumstances and going through these circumstances. So you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, being a 40 year old and what it made me think of is 2018 wasn't too long ago. I was three years <laughs> ago. You know, 2018 was three years ago and, you know, being able to, launch your business plan, um, which we'll get into uh, where you created it at and how that happened, but launching your business plan, you know, three years ago and, and being able to really tell your story, how did it feel like being what what's perceived as, because I don't agree, but what's perceived as so late in your life and not being able to tell your story and put everything into action until then, how did that feel? How does it feel actually? Because it's in action as we speak. Wow, it's liberating. And so when we're talking about mass incarceration, what we're really talking about is looking at it from a delineation of, you know, the war on drugs, which is essentially the war on Black people, criminal justice reform, which is those impacts and social outcries of those injustices, and then progressing into mass incarceration as it becomes economical in its impact, right? And so not everyone is impacted across the same spectrum when we're dealing with mass incarceration. And so for me, I got it on the brunt end in the beginning, and I've, you know, progressed through it through my trajectory over 30 years. You know, some are just into that, but nevertheless, you know, who's ever being impacted, you know, we're looking to release that pressure. Um, and so um, the other piece to that, you know, when we're, when, um, my apologies, I lost track on the question. My uh, you're, you're, good. you're good. You're good. You're good. Essentially, you know, I was just asking, you know, what emotions and what thoughts and how it feels to be in the process of putting your business plan in action as it was just three years ago that you were, you know, for the last time released 
Um, and I just kind of wanted to get an insight on, you know, how you how it feels and, and what that's looked like the past three years, you know, being that for some people, they might perceive that being so late in life that you were finally able to tell your story. Wow. It's been empowering, you know, when you're looking at where I put together my business plan in Lansing Correctional Facility, serving a five-year sentence for a conspiracy to distribute, distribute cocaine, a situation in which I wasn't the target of the investigation, but because I didn't turn state evidence, you know, my friend was released and I was sent to prison on a 68-month sentence. And so that's what that mass incarceration piece looks like when we're in a courtroom and everyone in there knows that you're innocent, but you end up in prison anyway. Right. And so that's, um, you know, the piece that we're looking to disrupt as well, you know, and so looking at how my business plan has evolved, uh, the new elements, the people, um, how the community has rallied around, you know, not only my story, but me looking to elevate the status of others impacted by mass incarceration and creating a network uh, with partners to bring it to fruition. So it's really a dream come true. Um, I'm excited every day that I wake up. Uh, I get to live my purpose out and be passionate. Um, and so it's liberating, it's fulfilling, and it's, it's nothing more else that I want to do. I love it. I love it. And and now I kind of wanted to point out some, you know, quotes that I selected or some moments that really stood out to me from the video that we just watched. And I would love for you to kind of elaborate on, you know, what you meant by this or what you meant by these quotes or how these quotes make you feel or what inspired these thoughts. So the first one is safety is a moment. Security is a status. And I wanted you to kind of elaborate on that, as I think that could easily go over a lot of people's heads. Wow. And so what we're looking at there, safety is a moment, security is a status, relates to the perceived incivility piece of one's environment, right? And so if you're in a situation where you see dilapidated buildings, dilapidated people, broke down cars, systemic racism, police, drugs, violence, then your future is going to not is going to support that idea that that's all you can be, right? And so within that, there's no security, right? And that's huge, right? Our environmental influences have to ensure that we can be successful not only in our lives but also our generations. And those environmental influences, you know, it's perception, uh, you know, like how can you dream big if all of the buildings around you are blacked out, <laughs> you know? Um, and there's no grocery stores in your environment, you know, for you to, to have nutrition, for you to be satiated, for you to be secure in your next day, right? And so that's what we're looking at. And we're finding that, you know, the veil of the duality of existence allows people that are not impacted by this in the same community to see it as not their problem because of the economical, you know, um, educations that they receive, right, and their political positions and things of that nature, right, so it's very interesting that we can have a thriving metropolis with, you know, a community that is, you know, a minor, or excuse me, Black community that is dilapidated. It's astounding, actually. Agreed, agreed. And <laughs> I, I, I'm going to hold off on my question that's uh, like related to that. I know last time we met up a few weeks ago at the coffee shop, we were talking about your experience, you know, deciding to move really further deep into the community and really wow. become, you know, ingrained in the Kansas City area and really feel what other people are feeling and some of the thoughts and experiences you've been experiencing since then. And we're going to discuss that because that's directly related to what you just talked about. So um, another quote that, that that stood out to me was mass, inca mass incarceration will attempt to fit you into its narrative. And again, you know, I just wanted you to elaborate on that and what that meant to you. Right. And so what I meant particularly as it pertained to me was when I was arrested at eight years old. And so to give context to, context to that arrest, um, I was born in Junction City, Kansas, in my nucleus family, and I will be transferred to foster care in Los Angeles, California, where I was spend my formative years. And as I moved to a new foster home, um, the gang on the block approached me and said, you know, you have to commit this lick in order for us to know you're good for you to live here. And so I did it and I failed miserably. And I attempted to rob an adult Mexican man, um, as I stated in the Doe Rodney King me piece, who had more likely to not experience more loss than me. But in my situation, um, you know, no one talked to me. I was processing book, 
a social worker wasn't called. Um, I just heard the sounds of the, the police station, right? And then I was released into um, my foster parents where then abuses, you know, started at that point. And so I was fit into the narrative to be prepared for incarceration. Like when you think about it, you had, you know, adults who you would imagine had children that were, you know, within my age group. And it's like, you know, they, they just process and book me, right? Fitting me into a narrative. And, you know, that's what I meant by that. Yeah, that, that you know, reminds me, I was like, I saw something on the news the other day where, you know, an officer had, you know, gone through the same, like through a situation where they are arrested and booked no, no, you know, social worker, no parents called, nothing, just arresting book seven, eight, nine, ten year olds for a video taping a fight. And wow. and you know, people forget how traumatic that can be and, and how that leads individuals, you know, down a certain path and 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 leaves an imprint on their brain of what they're like you said, what their narrative, what they're expected to be, what they're where they're expected to end up without any guidance, you know. So right, 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 right. Especially, right. At, right. especially at eight years old, right? When and and we love to we love to when, when it doesn't directly, you know, relate to us or our children, we love to be like, they should know that already. But if it was, you know, they're kids, which is why you, you bring up a good point being, you know, you imagine individuals themselves had, you know, eight-year-olds at home, seven-year-olds at home, nine-year-olds at home. But when it doesn't directly relate to their situation, that veil that you also talked about. <laughs> that veil, <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. You know, it's 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 exactly what it is. A movie. That's exactly what it is. It's it's, it's staged and directed. People pick and choose. So wow. um, so you said mass incarceration operates in fear. And I wanted you to share, you know, how how you know how that happens or or what you mean by that particularly again i'm asking you kind of the same question just with with several different quotes so i don't want to sound repetitive but what do you what do you mean by that how did how did that come about in your your story right and so um you know that's a really great question because um what we're looking at again in reference to my story is being someone that didn't even have an opportunity really to established uh, um, stability in their life, right? And so, um, you know, mass incarceration will then provide the instruments for you to not be successful, right? And they will put, and they will be placed in your environment. And then there's the operation of fear. So what does that translate into, right? So for me, when I was growing up in the early 90s in Los Angeles, California, going through different um, social movements in the forms of riots and protests, seeing the military standing on my corner with assault rifles, right? Arresting people that look like me, right? And saying, don't go here, don't go there, stay over there, don't you move, I can shoot you, right? Then you have the police coming in or acting in, you know, even a more support capacity, right? So that's what I've seen in my environment, um, you know, tanks police hanging off of them in droves, right? You know, and so, yeah, preparing you for fear and living that fear out daily. And so if you're in fear, you know, like you can't even put together a healthy series of thoughts, <laughs> right? To, to lead you anywhere. Right. Huh? And, and, and with you saying that, it kind of, it kind of makes me think about, you know, what you also shared about when you were a young child, when you're adolescent, you were watching those replays of the video of Rodney King and hearing those sounds that all you could think about is, I want to go out and hurt these individuals, which you then stated, you know, beating down your future by making you want to help destroy it, which right. I thought was very powerful because I see how that happens in everyday life. We see something happen happens, especially as a young person, which influences a certain, you know, causes a certain energy, a certain feeling. All you've seen prior years before that is mass incarceration operating through fear with tanks and, and all these movements and everything happening, or, you know, for the new age children, everything happening on TV, you know, George right. Floyd, you know, these riots in Ferguson or these riots, you know, in Minneapolis. And this is all they're seeing, especially the children who are growing up in these communities like directly in these communities, all they're going to feel is rage. You know, it's, 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 it's right. 
what what else can come from that? You know, it's it's hard for love and 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 peace to come from seeing these scenes in real life and being able to physically touch that or be affected by that. And so I really thought it was powerful when you said beating down your future by making you beating down my future by helping you helping me want to destroy it. And I wanted you to maybe touch on that a little bit further. Wow. Thank you again, Carlos. And so you, you asked some tremendously great questions and I'm grateful to be able to provide this uh, clarity because, you know, this is the opportunity to share my story. And so growing up in Los Angeles and, you know, as I said, exiting foster care and growing up on the streets and joining the gang, you know, I came up in the situation where you first had to get on to be able to sell drugs. And then you went to curb serving, getting a spot, and then ultimately going out of town, right? In terms of selling drugs. But what I'm also doing is investing in opportunities to destroy my life, my, my future, any opportunity, you know, for me to be anything positive because I'm also beating down other people's futures by making availability of, of uh, this narcotic, right? Uh, to be able to perpetuate that. And so that's what I meant by beating down my future by making me help wanting to destroy it. Wow. Wow. And, and I'm sure, you know, there's going to be some listeners who can connect directly with this and some listeners who can't. So, you know, one thing we're going to touch on after we watch this next video is how your mission, how your business plan has attracted people who you never thought it would attract. Um, and, and, and with that being said, I kind of want to transition into watching the next video um, that you provided. And again, ladies and gentlemen, if you get the opportunity to watch this video on YouTube after you finish listening to it, I would highly suggest it because both of these videos are powerful and imagery and, and, and visual content always helps a story connect a little bit deeper. So we definitely suggest. So with that being said, again, Naeem, we're going to both mute ourselves and we're going to um, share the screen and go ahead and watch this video. And so in three, two, and one. My business plan for Swag Inc. saved my freaking life. The system spit me out of prison for the last time in 2018. On parole, with all the strings attached, but with no home plan to help serve them. My parole officer kept slipping up. AE after AE, our administrative error. I didn't know where to go. I was in survival mode, a familiar disposition. Foster care, gang life, and prison. I thought I could survive anything, but there I was on parole. No home plan, sleeping in a car. It was the only time I ever thought about ending my life. I gripped onto my plan for swag ink held onto it for dear life the sentences scrawled across the pages lifted off the paper and grabs me back they didn't let me go my vision pulled me back from the edge now swag is alive at swag inc our serve witness and give guidance inspiration never ceases we believe once you get out of prison you should stay out we promote ownership for those impacted by mass incarceration. Our vision is to nearly end recidivism in Kansas City, Missouri. And our goal is for our clients to discharge successfully from parole within three years of release from prison. We've created a suite of services to help our clients and their loved ones. All of these services are things I wish I had. I always believed that swag would become real one day. But I could have never imagined the type of people that the organization would attract. Sharp people, passionate people, people who have never felt the cold class of handcuffs and who have definitely never been incarcerated. People who have never met a person with a felony record until they met me. And people who have been impacted by the system and are now ready to impact it back. People who truly believe all they could be was a felon until they realized their crime was not their destiny. Swag has attracted people like you 
who believe in people like we. Welcome, fam. Welcome, family. Welcome, welcome fam. <laughs> welcome, family. You feel what welcome, I'm saying? Fam. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Yo, I love that. I love that. Again, going back to, you know, the, the content, I can't wait for more of that to come out because, you know, it's powerful watching that. Really helps you connect with your story a little bit deeper. <laughs> Outside of just hearing the words, we can really connect with the, the visual and, and who's behind the voice. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's, I think that's very powerful. So, um, I want to talk about the business plan. So let's go. Let's let's talk about, you know, what, who, uh, when was this business plan inspired? Like wh when did it start popping into the brain and what made you think, oh, I need to write it down? You know, a lot of people come up with a whole bunch of ideas, but they just let them flow through their brain and, and, and they ride away somewhere else. So who inspired you? What inspired you to actually write it down and, and follow through? Right. And so for me, I wrote my business plan while I was incarcerated, as I said earlier, in Lansing Correctional Facility. And so what that looked like was going into prison with three college degrees, not receiving an opportunity from any employers, not coming into any contact with the police for 12 years and not having any success in the end user experience in terms of being able to provide for myself and my family in a career. And so you know, had it not been for a conversation that I had with Nipsey Hussle, I don't know if I ever write the eight letters down to the organization, Swag Inc., serve, witness, and give guidance, inspiration never ceases. And so, you know, what I had an opportunity to do was talk to Nip prior to going into prison. And I asked him as he was on the cusp of signing his major deal, who was he going to sign with? And, you know, he said for him, it was about patience because he knew the moment he signed that contract, his life changed forever, that it was about ownership, that it was about showing up, that it was about taking care of those around you and elevating their statuses and creating a long term plan. And so for me, it was a business plan that I hope to present to Nip to invest in as I would see him evolve over the course of my five year sentence. And ultimately, what, what really inspired me was you know hearing the men on the run sing his raps hearing his music playing um and knowing that i had a cheat code to, to pull right up on him as we both from the crenshaw district you know and so um that was the focus ultimately we wouldn't able to we wouldn't be able to do that because he transitioned his life from the next however may peace and blessings be upon him and his family um and so then that's when i transitioned into entrepreneurship and, you know, growing the business model in terms of pre-entry planning and advocating for those impacted by mass incarceration and looking at a way to solve for that prior to release. And so we created a new business model and offering our HOPES program, our healing, ownership, planning, employment, sustainability one year prior to release. And then having our pre-entry coordinators who use pre-entry plans crafted out by the five principles of design thinking, empathize, ideate, prototype, define, and test to help our clients transition off of probation and parole successfully within the first one to three years of their release. And so those elements weren't in my business plan prior uh, to me being in the entrepreneurial ecosystem of Casey Mo, which has been a tremendous resource of blessing for me and my growth and development and my entrepreneurial acumen as well. And I wanted to, I wanted to ask, you know, every time you talk, I'll be like, damn, that's powerful. <laughs> so, so then I'll be having to regather myself. But look, I, I, I did, did want to ask when you were incarcerated, writing this business plan, was there anybody else, you know, in your life while you were locked up that you were able to engage in conversation with um, to talk about your business plan, to ideate, or was it just you? And I, I always wanted to ask that question. I don't know why I haven't asked you that yet, but you know, were, were there people you were able to share your thoughts with while you were there? Were there people you were able to ideate and kind of, you know, break down with this work, with this not work? What should I do here? How can I help here? What problem am I solving? Or was this just through reading books and, 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 you know, you know, putting it down on paper? What did that process look like in real time? Right. And so that's the million dollar question, because um, Nip would inspire me uh, to to pursue that ownership piece. But I did have an opportunity to talk about the elements of what I wanted my reentry to look like um, through my family, 
uh, my mom, my cousin, Paul Richardson Sr. And it's a really million dollar question because at the time that I went into prison, March 2014, excuse me, April 2014, my cousin was getting drafted by the Seattle Seahawks, Paul Richardson Jr., uh, number 10 at that time, catching touchdown passes on Sunday from Russell Wilson. And so I had, you know, Nip on one end, BET, MTV. Then on Sundays, I had my cousin playing football. And so I was like, bro, you're laying in the prison bed. Like, you can be better than this. You have to show up for your life. You know, what are you going to do? And so I had a college brother of mine, Adam Tank, uh, would write me a postcard when I was in prison. And it simply said, think and grow rich. I still believe in you, Naeem. But what was so amazing was that I hadn't talked to Adam since we graduated in 2010, and this was in 2014, and so I didn't even know how he found me, right? But I remembered the phrase out of the book that it came from, and it is Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And so I read that book that he gave me in college, and, you know, the takeaways for me were writing um, letters and also thinking about what you wanted your future to look like and visually seeing that. And so um, that's what I did. Um, the letter that I wrote would be to Hill Harper, um, who I provided an excerpt to return the citizen from debtor to owner. Also the, a copy of the business plan of Swag Inc. and a short 11 page letter of my life story, right? And hoping to connect with him as his work, um, letters to an incarcerated brother inspired me to be able to chart out the flow of my business plan um, as he had that elements in his work. And so I was just really impressed that um, all I known him to be was an actor, but this brother had degrees. Um, he was being charitable with his time and resources, advocating for people that were incarcerated. Um, and it just really, you know, made me reach deep and down in myself and offer it and be able to want to offer something to someone else. And so I started talking to the men around me about what impacted them upon their release. And the number one thing came up is if I only had a job. And here's the thing, we're in prison and we ain't really chopping it up, right? So I really wanted to know, you know, what these experiences look like, juxtaposition to my 30 years, which I could glean from easily, right? Um, but I would come to find out that th different things would happen, you know? So I'm one that's never been to prison on a technical violation. I've always been able to successfully get off. Um, others have, you know, went back due to drugs, not being able to find a job housing situation not great our relationship um, is not outstanding in terms of the significant other and so all these influences that are make it impossible for one to get off of probation or parole right and sending them back to prison and so being able to look at how what we saw for those things um, while I was incarcerated would would help in in my way that I would excuse me in the direction I would go once I was released love it I love it I love it and you you mentioned you know when you exited in 2018 that you were displaced you were trying to trying to figure things out things was mm -hmm. tough but you grasped onto your business plan and that essentially kept you alive can you talk about the emotions during that time and and how your business plan provided you hope and faith and purpose to keep pushing forward wow thank you Carlos you know, I wrote my business plan uh, to leave a legacy for my family and to uplift my community and, you know, to be my proof of concept that I had value. And so also, you know, what we were doing, we're looking at creating a new business model, right? And so my reentry wasn't done over the last two years of my five-year prison sentence. And so that's how I ended up being released homeless by way of an Oxford house, not being able to afford the rent in Kansas and not having my interstate compact done to Kansas City, Missouri, which I had a support system. And that would be the conduit into which I found myself homeless, sleeping in a car um, and being ostracized from my family and then expected to, you know, I'll, you know, be, you know, be like in prison while I'm in the community. And so I got really frustrated, really, really confused, really de de depressed. And, you know, when I was in the car, but I was in an inoperable car one night, you know, I was just thinking about killing myself, but I had my business plan next to me. And, you know, I will ultimately look at the pages, start crying, and I will cry out to my Lord Allah and ask for my relief. 
Um, you know, with difficulty comes relief, with difficulty comes relief, with relief. And so I prayed. And normally, you know, I would have went to look for an opportunity to sell drugs because that's all I've ever really done uh, was sell drugs and narcotics. But I didn't want to go back to prison. I didn't want to let my family down. And, you know, I wanted to, you know, be successful in terms of creating a legacy. And you, we, we talked last week or the week before uh, about what happened after um, you finished praying. And I wanted you to just kind of share that, you know, just the power of prayer uh, and, and uh, you know, let the folks know kind of what, what, what the following sequence of events that happened in the, in the months following that period of time. Wow. So the very next morning, um, I had a two bedroom apartment that I moved into with no money down and with the opportunity to pay uh, comfortably when, when, when I was in a position to. And that would be facilitated by my manager at UPS, Shannon Hayden, uh, his mom, who was also formerly incarcerated. And, and she had a, a unit that was not being used. And so I would reach out to Shannon. And I would say, hey, bro, um, and I got I to gotta quit UPS. I just got promoted as a supervisor, but I don't have transportation. I don't have nowhere to live, you know, and, you know, I'm thinking about killing myself, bro. And, you know, he asked me where I was at. And he came and got me. He took me to his house. Uh, we, we ordered some pizza. He called his mom over. He explained my situation to her. And, you know, she was like, immediately took off a key on her ring and gave it to me. And, you know, it was like, we'll take you there. And you good. You know, just keep going to work at UPS <laughs> kind of thing. And so um, I would ultimately get a new car, sign and drive. A couple of days later, I went down to CarMax and, you know, got via email. I didn't really think it would be something that would materialize but i was desperate kind of thing so i went down there and turned to find come to find out my credit was in really good shape and i was able to sign and drive and i had a vehicle um i had housing i had a, a job and so i felt like i was commissioned to do this work i love it and you haven't stopped since then that's no a fact. <laughs> that's a fact i love it so for individuals who aren't familiar with this term, can you talk about what ending recidivism in Kansas City means? So can we talk about what recidivism means and then kind of talk about, you know, the, the suite of services that you mentioned before um, that you have in place that are helping individuals throughout this process of, you know, you know pursuing ownership, um, you know, getting, getting, finishing parole within three years. Um, can we talk about the suite of services that you provide that kind of help people along this process? Absolutely. Thank you, Carlos. And so um, the suite of services that we're offering um, is the healing, ownership, planning, employment, and sustainability. In healing, we offer mental and physical health. We have a partnership with Sam Rogers Behavioral, where we're able to offer our clients therapy sessions, healthcare, supportive services in terms of food and rental assistance. Under our ownership, we facilitate the Hustle 2.0 curriculum. It offers 12 evidentiary-based programming that allude to emotional intelligence once completed. But the interesting thing about this curriculum is that it can be worked inside of the incarcerated setting and also in the community um, by, by, by one support system. Under planning is where you find our pre-entry coordinators, where we're facilitating that relationship with probation and parole, Department of Corrections. We're sketching out the the um, housing, the employment through our partners, our employment partners, and we're doing that one year prior to release. And that's what makes swagging difference, arguably in KCMO and in the nation. The employment is very critical. And we're not just saying like labor, trade my labor for wages. What we're looking at is employment etiquette, developing relationships with employers that be, can be multiplied throughout the organization. Right, and we're teaching those skill sets in our workshop. Sustainability um, is going to take a village to get this work done, and we look to you know other nonprofits, elected official, business leaders, and community and family members to assist us in this work. When we're looking at recidivism, it's important to know that it's a byproduct of reentry. And so the real question would not the real question, but a, a layer question would be, what is reentry? And so reentry is the process of exiting prison after a prison sentence, right? And so I re-entered after a five-year prison sentence. Recidivism alludes to going back to prison within one to three years of release. And so right now, if you are released, you are 
there's a 40% chance that you return back to prison in your first year and it balloons to 70% over three years. And that's the model we're looking to disrupt as those, um, those um, the, the recidivism is associated with violations, technical and employment, failing drug tests, not making appointments, not having money to pay fines, restitution, um, not being able to uh, find a place to live, right? You can go back to jail for that. So um, we're looking to solve for that. And that's what recidivism is. That's what that alludes to. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so pretty much every day of your week, you know, how do you kind of plan out your weeks to get your, to, to, to address partnerships and then to address uh, when you're addressing partnerships, then you got to go to, you know, your Zoom calls and from your Zoom calls, your in-person meetings, then to meeting with clients. So, so how do you kind of schedule out your week? Do you have like specific days for specific things or you kind of just fit things in where they can fit in. I kind of just wanted to talk about what your 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 schedule looks like in the in the life of Naeem while running this organization. Thank you. And so, you know, what we do or uh, what I do, definitely I have to organize my schedule around employment partners, our support group and our clients, right? And so what that looks like for me, Mondays are reserved strictly for our clients that are either in the community or incarcerated, um, gives us the opportunity to update our information in the system that we use, uh, developed by Community Care Link, uh, that allows us to arrive at data-driven decisions using the SMART method or specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-bound as it relates to measurements of success and return on investments on our programs and services and you know referrals to our partners and so we use monday uh, to really tap in and tune in to our clients and make sure that everybody is healthy and happy and you know we we can connect we're coming right out of sunday which is our support group for families impacted by mass incarceration it's at equal minded cafe and event center every sunday 10 a.m to noon and so friday what I do is reserve that for Juma prayer. And so I focus on Allah. I am in the office from 8 to 10 a.m. But after that, I focus on Allah and myself in that in, in terms of my relationship with Allah. And then Tuesday through Thursday is where I divvy up, you know, either meeting with our pitching perspective um, partners, also meeting with other nonprofit leaders as well as meeting with other people that want to get involved with swagging. I love it. And speaking of other people getting involved with swagging and partnerships, can we talk a little bit about JE Dunn, you know, that, that, that connection, you know, how that happened um, and what you guys are looking to do over there? Um, because, you know, you, you shared a, a <laughs> interesting insight about JE Dunn that I didn't know. Um, so if you wonder, <laughs> oh, well, then why would you want to partner with them? So, you know, share, share a little bit about that story and, and what you guys are looking to do over with J.E. Dunn. And also congratulations on that partnership as well. So continue. Absolutely. And so, you know, we were fortunate enough, Swag Inc., to be funded by the Hadley Project KC, which is a subset of the Sunderland Foundation, which, you know, they are here to fund startup nonprofits who efforts focus on social inequities. And so we we're fortunate enough to connect with them uh, through our, our work and we were funded. And so as a way to connect with the other organizations they funded, we had a meet and greet um, professional mixer. And so I was there um, and I had the opportunity to talk with Paul Needland who asked me, you know, hey, how are you doing? You know, what, what, what industry are you in? And, you know, what's your business model? And so um, I told him that we are in the mass incarceration space and we created a new business model and pre-entry planning to solve for the re-entry pandemic. And so Paul was aware of what I was talking about and he asked me more questions about um, our, our mission, our vision and our goals. And, you know, after I was done, he asked me more about me and how, and how you know, I came to want to create this organization. And so um, I went into my story and, you know, he said, well, hey, you know, I'm actually the president of J.E. Dunn Construction and we'd like to invite you in to see how, you know, we can partner and also, you know, connect. And I said, well, yeah, let's do it <laughs> kind of thing. And so uh, it was a really great moment in my life because, I had, you know, opportunity to connect with someone who was in a position to do something about, you know, mass incarceration, right? That's an audience that we look to appeal to, those who are impacted by mass incarceration and those who are in a position of power to do something about it. And so what we're able to do with J.E. Dunn Construction is essentially come to 
uh, an arrangement where we'll be able to provide the education in terms of the, the particular position that they need, and they will be able to provide those opportunities to returning citizens, right? And so what we ultimately want to do is add to the diversity, equity, inclusion, add money to the operation through the success of people. I love it. I love it. I love it. The power of networking, right? So <laughs> absolutely, it's a one one thing you know how to do is communicate, and you communicate well. Um, you know, and that's in that's in the uh, bucket of all the other hundreds of things that you're good at as well. And you know, we definitely appreciate you being a you know a, a figure of service to society to to the human race, um, because you know some people might say. You're just serving the, the the community of individuals who have been affected by mass incarceration. But I'd fight to say that with everything that you're doing, you're affecting the community at wide through your service, through your business, through your nonprofit. So I love everything you're doing. I love the way you communicate. I love the energy you bring to every situation, to every conversation. And I think that you're going to be and are already and are going to continue to be successful in everything that you do. And the great thing about everything that you do is that it's always in service to others. And so the more success you have, the more success others have. And it reminds me of, you know, this, uh, this, I guess, mindset called the Ocho system, which is others can help one and one can help others. And so, you know, the more you improve yourself, the more you take care of your health, the more you, you know, dedicate time to your business, the more you dedicate time to your, your mental health and to your education, the more you're better able to serve others, you know, and like the legendary Jay-Z says, you know, he said, he said, I wanted to give back, but I was too poor. So I got rich and gave back, you know, that's a win-win, you know what I'm saying? Wow. I love it. You know what I'm saying? So I think, uh, you know, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but I love, I love, I love what you're doing. And I think that there's going to be a lot of beauty and blessings that, you know, rain out from everything that you're doing. So keep it up. Thank you very much, Carlos. And we love you, dear brother. Uh, you are a blessing. You are a good omen on the path filled with adversity for me. Uh, someone that is very passionate and always looking to inspire and uplift and feed healthy words and words of life, right? And so we need you know you to be blessed with long life so you can do good deeds, dear brother. I love it. I love it. I love it. And with that being said, I really enjoyed this conversation today. I'm glad we were able to make this happen again. Ladies and gentlemen, again, don't forget to watch this in video form as well, because I think those two videos shared were very powerful. I'm sure if you follow Naeem, eventually you will come across those two videos again regardless. But um, I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. I know I did. I enjoy every conversation with our amazing brother here today. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, how can you guys help Naeem? Let him say. Naeem, how can the, the audience, you know, help you? How can they support you? Where can they, they find you to support you? What can they do to help all the causes that you're a part of? Thank you, Carlos. And so you can connect with Swag Inc. Go on to swaginc.org. Uh, we have opportunities to connect if you're a fair chance employer, you want to learn the benefits of the untapped talent pool, we can provide that presentation. Also, you can invest your time, skills, and you can donate that guap. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, ladies and gentlemen, please leave a five-star review, a comment if you enjoyed this, and most importantly, Make sure you check the description and follow our good brother here so you can follow everything that he continues to do on his path of service. And man, may God bless us all. Let's be at peace. Let's spread love, spread, you know, positivity and gratitude. And, you know, let's be champions like the like the shirt says. So swag, man, serve, witness and give guidance today, tomorrow and for the rest of your life. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Carla Stutzer signing out of the Carla Stutzer show. Naeem, go ahead and say Peace out to the ladies and gentlemen. Inspiration never ceases. Thank you for uh, listening.